Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, my name is Song Liang and welcome to Through the Noise Podcast. I would argue the biggest headline for this week is the hotter than expected US inflation report. We saw both the equities and bond markets reacted negatively to it. The question then is how investors can consider navigating the financial markets from here. And I think I got the best person to answer this today. I'm delighted to have a regular on our podcast, Manpreet Gill, who is the Chief Investment Officer for the Africa, Middle East and Europe region at our CIO office. Welcome, Manpreet. We have a lot to cover today. Let's dive right in. Markets now believe the Fed is set to hike rates beyond 4% early next year. Could you help our listener interpret the inflation report? And what does it tell us about the likelihood that Fed hikes as expected by markets, or whether there are upsides or downside scenarios around that? Hi, Jong. Uh, indeed, yes, it, it was a significant report, and, and not just in terms of the details of the inflation report itself, but like you rightly pointed out, I think what was interesting was how it shifted market expectations, uh, with markets expecting a peak Fed rate of just about 3.6% a month ago to run the region of 4.4% now. In our view, it does fit into the broader theme of uh, rising uh, you know, central bank interest rates. And it's not just the Fed. Of course, we expect you know, similar trends from both central banks and across the UK and Europe as well. And that, of course, feeds into the recession debate. Um, and, you know, as we flagged in a monthly, the chance of, the, the risk that, you know, chance of recession are rising. But what's important here, of course, is how we address this environment as investors, because as we noted before, the key here is to balance you know, that outcome versus what may already be in the price. Now, in our view, we'd caution against the temptation to cut exposure that would effectively end up cementing recent underperformance because, you know, timing markets, both in terms of exit and entry can be hard. And of course, it can really hurt long term wealth creation, especially today when we're dealing with elevated levels of inflation. In our view, de-risking towards a more balanced portfolio allocation, that, in our view, is a more preferred approach. Uh, We have discussed before how rare, you know, the correlated fall in equities and bonds tends to be of the type we've seen in the first half of this year. So it's not something we would bet on continuing for a long period of time. Instead, de-risking, as one example we cited recently in the form of, you know, uh, reducing high yield, for example, and allocating more towards uh, U.S. and European investment grade, uh, that and, of course, taking advantage of high yields are just two examples of how we believe de-risking to more balanced allocation may be a better way to deal with the current environment. Okay, let's zoom in now on U.S. equities. How do the possible Fed responses you discussed earlier on translate? to how investors should approach U.S. equities. Well, on the U.S. equities, uh, you know, we, we view them as a core holding. And uh, in light of obviously what we've seen in recent days, I think there are two perspectives that, that can really help put some of the recent market moves in context. Now, the first is a technical view. Uh, and here, you know, some technicals do argue that the markets look under pressure uh, in the short term, at least. Now, if we take a growth index like the Nasdaq 100, uh, clearly we have seen a, a break of, uh, of one level of support. Uh, so we may end up seeing a Nasdaq 100, for example, head to the next level of support around 11,700 or potentially, you know, break of that taking us back to, to June 20 lows. Now, 
Of course, the S&P 500 index uh, facing a similar sort of uh, broad outlook with holding just above support at 3,900, a break of which could take us to 3,700. Now, that, of course, is one perspective, uh, and it does look relatively soft in the short term. A second perspective, of course, is look through the lens of yields. Um, you know, in our view, investors should consider global high dividend yield equities, where, you know, history does show, for example, that, you know, during periods of, of high CPI inflation, above 3%, for example, uh, these mark, this uh, sort of subset of equities has offered a positive return as opposed to a negative one for global equities and a higher probability of achieving that positive return. So that's a second perspective uh, we'd really take. And I think these two perspectives, how we look at U.S. equity markets today within the context of our core holding view. What about bonds? Does the inflation report make a break of 3.5% on the 10-year more likely? Well, we're not far from 3.5%, but I think equally, we, despite what's happened, we haven't seen 10-year yields break above that. So, you know, I think the perspective here is that, look, when we think about rising Fed rates, there is a more direct link to short maturity yields, and hence we've seen a more direct rise there. But when you start looking at longer-term bond yields, there are several additional factors that drive that yield. Uh, one key one, of course, is growth expectations. So if markets worry that Fed tightening may significantly worsen the growth outlook, uh, that, of course, can be you know, one sort of cap on bond yields. And related to that, if we see, you know, if we indeed do see inflation peak uh, within this year itself, we can debate how much it comes off, uh, especially whether that's because of supply chain disruptions or oil prices peaking out. That, of course, can be one, one other factor that makes it harder for long-term bond yields to rise further. So, of course, that doesn't mean you know markets may not test the 3.5% level. We may very well see that. But in our view, these two factors are likely to cap just how much the long-term bond yield rise. And for bond investors, where that translates into bond portfolios, of course, is, is that we think the most attractive risk-reward really sits in uh, what we call the neutral maturity profile uh, area, which really translates translates into about five to seven years to maturity. How does that fit into your view on corporate bonds? If we recall in our last Global Market Outlook, our Group Investment Committee reduced high yield in favour of investment grade bonds. Well, that's right. Uh, in a monthly earlier, uh, you know, we did take the opportunity of, of, uh, to close our preferred view on high yield bonds in developed markets. And of course, while we reduced those to a core holding, we, they were one of the sources of funding we used to upgrade U.S. and European investment-grade bonds also to a core holding. Now, I, I think it helps to understand what drove this view. And at the risk of sounding like a laundry list, there were five reasons behind the shift that moved us to more balanced view between the two. The first and, and the big one, in our view, is the rise in yields. Uh, in our view, that's created an attractive entry point to high-quality bonds. So U.S. and European IG corporate bonds now offer yields in the region of about 4.8% at an index level, uh, levels we haven't seen in about 10 years. So that makes them, in our view, much more attractive from a total return perspective compared to the zero or low yield world of the past decade. Second, of course, as we just described, you know, we had a bit of a rebound over the summer. That, of course, created a window of opportunity to make this change. But the third factor, of course, is relative valuations with the, the ratio of the spread uh, for high yield and IG returning to sort of was post-2008 average. So that's consistent with the balance stance. The fourth reason, of course, is what we just discussed, that if you know the rise in longer-term bond deeds is likely to be limited. Uh, so that, of course, does mitigate the risk of investment-grade bonds being relatively sensitive to rise in, in, in rates. And of course, the final point is, is from a portfolio perspective, you know, a higher allocation to U.S. and European investment-grade bonds 
can help limit uh, volatility should we end up in a scenario where risk assets take another leg lower. So it's it's a balanced stance between the two, but those are the five reasons we believe it makes sense. Okay, we can't end off a discussion on Fed without talking about the dollar. What does the likely Fed cycle mean for the dollar? Has last week market volatility created any opportunities? Well, you're right. I think the dollar is sort of part of the same discussion, given its correlation with where interest rates and bond deals are, have been going. Uh, I, I think the context here, just to put it in technical terms, you know, the dollar index or the DXY index, we did get a bounce from about 107.7 to 110. Uh, as we saw this sort of higher Fed expectations being priced in. But I think it's equally interesting that the, the, the index remained below the previous intraday high of 110.78. So that sort of indicates the uptrend could be contained in the very short term. And while we're keeping an eye on the resistance at 111.3, it does feed into our view that in the very short term, at least, we think the dollar index likely range bound at least ahead of you know, the, the Fed meeting next week. Now, in terms of opportunities, it does sort of, uh, you know, we think there are two areas to look. So one, of course, in terms of major pairs versus the dollar, the euro, of course, being a potential mirror image of that, uh, looking at the 98.5 cents to 1.035. Dollar yen, of course, I think interesting, uh, especially with the BOJ signaling recent days that it might consider an intervention, though we think the chances of that are low given, you know, the mixed historical track record of that. Uh, and since we're watching resistance in 145 uh, in the very short term. But one idea we do think is interesting in the short term is actually a non-dollar pair. So looking at euro sterling, um, and this and the, and and the rationale here really coming from the sterling side of it, where we know the UK is suffering from obviously worsening terms of trade, energy shortages, high inflation. So we think that may be one pair uh, through which investors can play what we expect to be sterling underperformance. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks, Manpreet, for sharing your thoughts, and thank you all for joining us today. As always, to read more of our market views, please take a look at our standard chartered Wealth Insights linking page where we regularly share our views. Of course, don't hesitate to reach out to your relationship managers or even investment advisor if you want a read of our more detailed reports. I wish you a great weekend and we'll speak again next week. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.